we had a sermon on Mother's Day, an admonition to mothers. Subtitle was Sins Common to Women. Because we always hear on Father's Day how bad men are, how, how, how women are almost perfect on Mother's Day, how bad men are on Father's Day. This is preached in churches all throughout the world, uh, that men are no good. They're not to be trusted. When you say the word masculine, the word toxic comes to mind these days. And so it's kind of a, not a good, not a good thing at all. And yet on the female side, pretty much almost perfection. Um, and men are told to be more like women. Fe- women are so perfect that women are told to be more like women and so forth. And I think that's wrong too. I don't think women are any better than men, nor are men better than women, according to the Bible. And we talked about that. So in looking at some of these things that the Bible says about what women should be on Mother's Day, I told you then that I would do a sermon on Father's Day uh, about men um, and so forth. I will be blunt. I, I, I know I don't care in some ways. I'm just going to be blunt about this. About a couple things about this. For one thing, my experience in life in dealing with this now for 50 years as a, as a preacher has been that when I mention anything at all that might even be minimally negative toward women, I get backlash on that. When I say bad things about men or criticize men, I get nothing in return because men just take it. Men are used to it. They just take it. And I don't know what, why that is. I think it's, I think it's a difference in the two sexes. I think it's a difference in the genders and the emotional makeup of the two. But men need to, if they're, if men are just taking it and not paying attention, when we talk about things like we're going to talk about today, then that's a problem. I think it's, they should pay attention and ought to take it to heart because men today have a lot of difficulties and they ought to be Take, they ought to be taken lead. When, when I do marriage counseling, sometimes when I have in the past, talk to people about their problems, and they can tell me about all the difficulties, and I generally, at some point there, I look at the young man or older man, and I say, well, you realize that, that all of this is your problem. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, what I mean is, even though a lot of it's her fault, it's your problem to fix it. You're the man. You're responsible. And so even if it's not your fault in being the head of your family, if you're going to be one, it's your responsibility to see what you can do about this. That doesn't go over too well, but that's a fact. It doesn't let women off the hook or the wife off the hook, but it means that the man, as being a man, is responsible. And I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon last time, we've got to move along because I have many things to cover. And I, I was going to do something very different this morning, but I thought I'm going to follow the same general format I did for the ladies so that there's no, uh, well, you let them off easy or you will, you know, I'm not going to do all that. I, 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 that's tiring. But the Bible is very clear about how we should, this is a day honoring fathers. And that's not a bad thing at all. But the Bible says, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long, that may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God will give you. And in fact, in the New Testament, this passage is quoted and again, in Ephesians chapter 6, that this is the commandment with promise. The promise is that things will go well with you when you honor your father and your mother. And so we do this. You see, even this, the Old Testament is even more explicit. And this is just a couple of, there's more than this. Re, these references in there. He who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Put to death. 
pretty, Moses thought this was pretty serious by God's command. And for everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father and his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Does that sound like God takes it lightly that we curse our father and mother? Doesn't sound to me like that. And it sounds to me like you need to be paying attention to what you say and think and do towards your parents. Even if they weren't ideal parents, even if they mistreated you, you owe them honor. You don't have to be lovingly affectionate to someone who has abused you, but you do have to honor them. And we can talk about that in another sermon. Now, the beginning of this whole understanding, not only of the female, but of the male, it goes back to the book of Genesis. So almost nothing I'm going to say this morning is brand new because all these passages are well known and they become controversial in our day. Believe it or not, they become controversial in our day, but they have. And yet that's because they strike to the heart of what is ill with modern society. These passages on the roles of men and women strike to so much of what is wrong and what is destructive in American society and in the Western world in particular. But God said in Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image, verse 26, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him, that's the male, male and female created he them. So he created both of them in God in his image. Then in a particular and special way, he created the male in his image, and then male and female, he made them. So God made two sexes in the beginning. He He made them in his own image. They're both made in that likeness of God. So whatever the likeness of God is, it goes past gender differences to be like God. It goes past that. And then he made male and female. He made the man in another particular way in his image. And I believe that means, in this case, we'll see in the New Testament in a moment, this means the headship is given to the male in this relationship as God is head over, over Christ. And it says then later in Genesis chapter 1, um, he says in verse 28, And then God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now put in our modern way of looking at things, this says that marriage, the union of man and woman, is the foundational organizational point of humanity. This is the foundational point and with, around which humanity is structured, not a governmental system, but the unit of the family. This is why our government and every totalitarian government that's ever existed has the objective of destroying the nuclear family because Satan knows, and they surely know, that with, unless you can destroy the nuclear family, man, father, mother, and children, that unit, you cannot control people effectively. That can't be brought under control. But if you can break those bonds, you can control people. But God built it this way. The basic unit. He blessed them and said to them, you be fruitful and multiply. Why is it that we're hearing today that we shouldn't be fruitful and multiply? Well, you can guess it's part of the destruction of this whole unit. And then they're to have dominion. This gives man, mankind, his purpose to take the Garden of Eden and expand the Garden of Eden throughout the whole wilderness, the whole world. And man has spent time trying to do this. That's man's job today. Every young person should have that in their mind, that my job as a human being is to join together in a family and reproduce and to, and and have dominion over the earth around me. 
and bring about good in that, good and for people's flourishing. This is a fundamental principle that's been the basis of Western civilization. This is the basis of Western civilization. And that's why it's under attack. Because there it is. Now then, the Bible says, for example, moving on in 1 Corinthians 10, but I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. So he says here that the head of every man is Christ. Every man in this audience, every man that's ever been born, and that includes uh, my grandson as well as myself, has a head. Our head is God. Okay? And so we can't do whatever we want to do just because we're men. We are under the control of God. And young ladies, you better marry a man who understands that, that he has a head above him. He's not just the head altogether. He may be your head, but he has a head above him. And that's God himself who will control his behavior. And you need to let, if you're a husband, a young man, you need to let the, let, let your wife understand that that's how you look at it. That your behavior is going to be dictated by the one that is your head, God above you. That you're not a dictator. You're, you're under control and under the control of God. And you'll act as you act because of his will. Now you can be wrong about some of the things involving that, but that's the fundamental structure that needs to be in place. And so this is a fundamental thing that God placed man as head over woman in this relationship. Now we'll come back to some of that in a moment. And but God even said that I, it's not good that man should be alone when he made Adam by himself. I'm going to make him a helper that's comparable to him or a suitable someone from that. And so he, he took, uh, he brought the animal, animals before Adam. Adam gave them names, classified them, but he couldn't find in here anything that's comparable to him. And so he caused man to sleep and took a rib out of his body, made a woman out of this and brought it back to the man. And when Adam saw this, he said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When I wrote vows for our wedding and for my brother's wedding before me, our vows were very strange. Our whole wedding was odd for some people because I wrote it. But it, this was our vow. This was one of the vows that I said to Judy. You are now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I didn't do the my plight, I troth thee and all that stuff. I did the one. I did vows that came from the scriptures, and that's one. What does that say? What's that mean? What it means is that a man is to to treat his wife. And and I think then the females around him, understanding that they are him and that he has to respect her in a very fundamental level as coming from him, as being part of him. They are now united back together again. Here's the woman coming out of man. Now marriage, in, in some metaphysical way, puts you back so you become one flesh again. Not the two cut apart by the surgery of God, but two back together again. This is a, this is an added, this is a fundamental understanding of this relationship. Feminism has made modern relationships in the between the sexes as adversarial. And they've made them as, uh, what's the word that we use? Uh, that means whatever you gain, I lose. It's, um, zero sum gain. So whatever is good for the man, the fem- female views it as bad for her. It's a zero sum gain. Whatever happens to the female that's good, the man views that as something happening to me. And so they go into marriage, supposedly even to living together. That's why they don't get married. Separated. They won't blend anything together, including their money. They won't blend anything together because they're still separated. And they view it's a competition to see who's going to control this marriage, who's going to get what they want out of it. And when you do counseling, you'll see this is precisely the attitude 
that even Christian couples have about this, very fundamentally, that it's a competition to see who's in control, who's going to get what, I'm going to protect my stuff, and um, they don't blend together as one flesh. And so the whole thing stinks to high heaven from the very beginning and doesn't work, will not work. I really like, uh, I've preached this for I don't know how many years, but I, I'm going to quote you something from him a little bit later on. But when that, Here's Jordan Peterson, and he's an agnostic commentator, philosopher, educator. You should listen to Jordan Peterson. He says, what's the difference between being married and living with somebody? Why should a person get married? Well, I'll tell you what. For young men today, the way feminism has restructured our laws in the last 40 years, there is no good reason for any young man to get married without God. Besides morality, there's no good reason. He risks Everything he earns while he's married, he risks the control of his children at the whim of the wife because 70% of divorces are initiated by women or more and they walk away and the courts advantage them in every way and young men lose. That's why young men don't get married anymore because they can get the sex if that's all it's about. They can get the sex, but they can't get the companionship. And he says, why should you get married? Well, you should get married because it's what's good for you. He says, marriage is not, living together is the opposite of marriage. It isn't in the, it isn't like marriage. The modern myth is that living together will train you in marriage. You should live with people and have sex because see, you see if you're compatible. He says it will do exactly the opposite. In fact, the recent statistics show that if you live with a person, you have an extremely minimized chance of having a successful marriage. And the more sexual partners you've had before you get married, you reduce your odds of having a long-term marriage down from like 60 or 70% down into the 20s when you start living with people. Why? Well, here's the difference. In marriage, he said it's like handcuffing yourself to somebody. You snap handcuffs on and you can't, you don't have a key. You're just together. And if you're in that situation, you first of all don't might not like it at first, but you got to get realized we're handcuffed. We've got to figure out how to get along and make this work together, or we're not going to make it. And so you figure out how to make it work together. You're handcuffed, and out of that produces character. You learn character, and you learn commitment, and you learn lots of other things that make you a better person and a better mate. And so do the other person, and so you grow together, and you have something stable and secure. Being living together is this: you're living together with somebody. And what is your thinking is, has to be this. You look at the other person and you say, the words coming out of your mouth are, I love you, I'm committed to you. But the thought in your brain is, you'll do until I find somebody better. Because you're always going to be looking for somebody better and you know you're not handcuffed. And so you'll do until I find somebody better. The other person says back to you, I love you. I'm committed to you. Isn't it nice we're in a committed relationship? But in their mind is, you'll do until I find somebody better. Is it any surprise it doesn't work? It's not like marriage at all. And I can tell you from being married, it's not like marriage at all. So the, the Bible says, you bone of bone. Young men, you understand this. So when you go into this relationship, you you put yourself into the relationship. Don't do it casually, but do it seriously. So what are some sins common to men? We've got to move along real fast here. I should just show you the list and sit down. But it's not even a complete list. 
Here's the, fir- here's the first one that comes to mind looking at modern young men. This has been beaten out of them over the last 40 or 50 years by environmentalism, by socialism, and by feminism, beaten out of them. A willingness or incapacity to subdue the earth. Young men are not willing anymore as a group, nor are they even capable of subduing the earth. Do you know that the, the number of new patents is dropping like a rock in the last 25 years? The number of useful, applicable patents on inventions is dropping like a rock. Why is that? Because we've put people in engineering just because of their race or gender, sexual orientation. And because people don't have a desire to actually do something. Because if you make an invention that does anything, it's hard to get it done because of environmentalism or safetyism. Safety. The number one rule in women's minds is safety. Nurturing and protecting and safety. It's a good thing. Except you can't run the world that way. Okay? That's not how men think at all. The number one rule of men is go out and do something, have fun. Ride your bicycle on the edge of a handrail, whatever it may be. This is how young men play. You've seen the little meme of little two little boys in the garbage. I love this little meme. Uh, one of these tall metal garbage cans that you put your foot on and the lid pops up. One boy's on the other side. The other boy pops it up and smacks one of them in the face. And they all, they both laugh. They run around and change places. He smacks him with the lid. And they keep doing this over and over again. Smacking each other with the lid of this thing over and over again. Little girls don't play like that. Okay, Little boys play like that all the time. Because they were intended by God to subdue the earth. They were intended by God to take the bull by the horns, go out and find out how to survive and help their woman and and the children survive and do well. That's what they were designed by God to do. We have tried our best in my lifetime to kill that spirit in young men. And that's what's called toxic masculinity. That's what's meant by that term. A desire to lead and to do something better is toxic masculinity. I deny it, and you ought to not, you ought to rage against that because that's what's going to destroy. A lot, a lot of you women are feeling the effects of this. You can't find a man that'll help you and take care of you. You can't find one you want to marry. Why? Because all that's been removed from me. They're not men anymore. They've been taught to be women. Women act like what they want in a husband is a girlfriend who will sympathize with all these girlfriend stuff. That's not what they really want, though. That's what they say. What they really want is an actual man who's willing to subdue the earth. Now he tells. In Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, as a group, he tells both of them to go out and subdue the earth. But later on in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, after Adam and Eve sin against God, he gives Eve what her punishment is or consequences. And then he tells Adam, listen to what he says to Adam. Because this idea in religion that the, the human beings sin and we sin the same way and Male and female are the same isn't true. From the very beginning, God shows you in what he says to the man and what he says to the woman. Here's a simple act. Eve took the fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband. Or she took the fruit and gave it to her husband. They both ate. Not sure which one exactly, depending on the language. But they both sinned. But they didn't sin the same way. They didn't sin for the same reasons. He says to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, You were not the leader, Adam. You stood back and said, if the woman ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, and you'd let her do what she wanted to do. And she brought this fruit to you, and you didn't say, no, we can't do this. You didn't stop her. You went along with it. You said, well, you know, you want Eve to be happy. She's pretty and all that. 
And she don't even have any clothes on. So, you know, whatever happens there, the man's going to do whatever she wants. You heeded the voice of your wife. Doesn't mean you don't ever listen to your wife. What I mean is you're the man. You, you were supposed to say no. You were supposed to say this can't be, honey. Don't, don't be deceived. But you didn't do that because you weren't man enough to do that. And he says, because you've taken eaten from the tree, I commanded you saying you should not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. You shall toil in toil. You shall eat of all of it the days of your, eat of all the days of your life. And he says, both thorns and thistles it will bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You shall return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. Dust you are. Dust you shall return. Now he puts the onus of taking care of this ground, this world, conquering and subduing the earth. He puts that burden on the back of the man. Right here. He doesn't give this burden to the woman at this point. She's going to be the helper. She's going to be the one to help Adam subdue the earth. Just like it says in Genesis 1. But here... Conquering these thorns and thistles of the world belongs to the man. So young men, educate yourselves. Train yourselves. You want education in, in, this, in social sciences? Go do that. But go do that with the idea of doing something better for the world and for your family. Go out there and train yourself. If you want to go into uh, other forms of physical labor to do something more specific with your body and your mind and build things and invent things. Go out and put your heart and mind in that. Get an education when you're young. Get training when you're younger. Keep advancing because God gave you that duty to do that. He gave you a mind and a body to use to have dominion over the earth. And the reason you do that is for your wife and children. That's why you do that. Now, when the reason, for example, that Jordan Peterson is popular with young men is because he's telling him that very thing. Even though he's not a Bible-believing Christian, he's telling him that very thing. You have worth, you have value. Don't be fooled by this toxic masculinity masculinity charge. Go out and do something with your life. Get up off the couch, stop playing video games, and go do something worthwhile. Whether anybody else likes it or not, pursue that. Take care of your physical body. You don't have to become a gym rat or an excess, but take care of your body so you can subdue the earth. You need to be the one that can do the hard things around your house or knows how to do them. Find out how to do things around the house, around in your with your car and society, so you can do things for people. I think these are important traits of being a Bible, a biblical male that are overlooked by men today, because a lot of them just given up in the face of all this criticism, a barrage of criticism. They're all viewed as rapists because they're attracted to women, and so they just give up. And now women are all complaining everywhere all over the internet because men are not like that. Now, let me play this little clip. I don't know if this will work or not. We've discussed, and Gary's discussed, and I've discussed in different classes what it means to be meek. Meek is not, and gentle, are not about being, or humility. Humility is not about just being passive. It's about being under control. Now, here's how... Jordan Peterson explains this in an interview, I think, with John Stossel. Because he's written that men should be fierce. He says men should be fierce. Oh no, they're going to kill us all. No, that's not what he means. Listen, to what I think it'll work here. Well, did the wrong thing. Don't tell me it's not going to work. Stossel says to him, you've talked about being fierce. That sounds like you're supposed to threaten people. And Peterson says, no, you're misunderstanding completely. It's not about threatening people. There's a big difference between letting people do something for themselves and saying men should be dangerous. By dangerous, that implies I should be 
hurting your friends somehow, or hurt somebody. No, you should be capable of it. But that doesn't mean you should use it. There's nothing to you otherwise. Like if you're not a formidable force, there's no, there's no morality in your self-control. If you're incapable of violence, not being violent isn't a virtue. People who teach martial arts know this full well. Right? You learn martial art, you learn to be dangerous, but simultaneously you learn to control it. Both of those come together. And the combination of that capacity for danger and the capacity for control is what brings about the virtue. Otherwise, you confuse weakness with moral virtue. I'm harmless, therefore I'm good. It's like, no, that isn't how it works at all. If you're harmless, you're just weak. And if you're weak, you're not going to be good. You can't do it because it takes strength to be good. It's very difficult to be good. It takes strength to be good. Being weak and being harmless does not make you good. It makes you weak and harmless. So men need to be strong and fierce and capable of doing harmful things or aggressive things, but they should only use that under the control of God, not under their own will. That's what David was. That's what Moses was. That's what Jesus was. Could he not have called down 10, 000, uh, 72,000 angels, 12 legions of angels? He could have, but he didn't. And so you as a man need to be trained and capable of great things, even violent things, if necessary. You need to be the kind of man that would use violence to protect those he loves because you need to be capable of doing something. But just to be weak and passive and stand back and let other people do for you and not be educated, not be capable, that doesn't make you a good man. It makes you a weak man. We were told to have dominion over the earth and we ought to look at, think about what that means. Now, this is a, this is an important principle. And, and, um, you know, Peterson explains this in his own way. But, and I had another quote here. There, there's a, there's a, another, I don't know if you can see that link. I, I couldn't get that to work either. But here's a fellow that recently, that recently a fellow was let out of prison. A child molester was let out of prison. Been in prison for a long time for all kind of child molesting. They interviewed this fellow on the news or on long interviews. How, how did you pick your victims? How did you choose what to do? He said, well, the first thing I did, he said, I looked at the father in the family. And if I thought the father was weak and not paying attention, that's the first place I looked for victims. Men, that ought to make you think. Okay. Did you know that young girls, this is an old number are seven times more likely to be abused sexually when they live with a stepfather or when their mother is unmarried and has men come over. Seven times more likely. And yet, women think it's a good idea to have men come around, have stepfathers and have this. And I'm not saying don't ever do that, but I'm saying you need to be aware. And you need to be, you need to be understanding that that's who these men look for weak people. Weak fathers. All right, some other things we want to consider. Uh, the first one that we got to stop. Well, I'm only going to get to a couple here, but so the Bible would condemn a husband, a man, for not being a proper head to his wife. And you notice I put the word proper in there because the Bible says we're to be a head. But notice this verse, verse 23 here of Ephesians 5. The husband is the head of the wife. That's a statement of fact. In God's eyes, the husband is the head of the wife, whether feminism likes it or not, whether you like it, when you get married, the husband is the head of the wife. That's what God says. How? 
Any old way he wants to, a dictator, a tyrant? No. As Christ also is head of the church, he saved her the body. So the headship of the man is to be in the same nature and of the same accord as the headship of Christ over the church. Not a tyrant, but a loving head who seeks only what is good and best for those under his charge. That's the proper head. There's, I got sermons on this whole subject. If you want to listen to some of the full sermons on this subject, you can go to our web website and look for some sermons on uh, biblical homes in the 21st century. You'll find those. Also, something that harms men is not loving his wife. Husbands, love your wives. Well, I thought you thought you have to love them. You got married to them. This word love here has not got anything to do with Disney or Hallmark or anything like that. This word here, agape, means to put your wife's interest ahead of your own. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's a willing, sacrificial love for the benefit of your family. It doesn't always mean giving her away. It doesn't always, it doesn't mean being weak and standing back and letting for her decide. It means to take the lead, but do so with her best interest at heart, even if she doesn't even agree with that. But you need to love your wife. And he goes a long explanation about this. How much Christ loved the church and, and he wants her to be holy and set apart to himself and, and they ought to love their wives, he says, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So you have a long scriptural, I, I've got several long sermons on this subject on the, on the internet already, you can see. And then there is this, uh, passage in 1 Peter 3 7, a powerful scripture of not understanding your wife. Where did he says husbands dwell with them that's your wives with understanding or with knowledge the scripture. This we have a modern idea. Oh, men are easy, women are so inscrutable. You can't understand women. No one understands women. Well, that's a problem to me because God says I'm supposed to understand my wife. He commands me to understand my wife as a husband. Women can be understood. They're not inscrutable. Okay? They are, they are inconsistent. They are, they hide their true motives and thoughts. They hide them from day to day. You've got to dig them out, but they're there. You can understand your wife. And you ought to understand your wife. You need to spend time observing her. Like you, you got an engine you want to work on. You got to observe it. You got to pay attention to it if you want to understand it. Well, men, you apply that same brain that God gave you to understand the world around you. You can understand all these mechanical things. You apply that to your wife and try to figure out what she needs and what she's about and how you can help. And you do this giving honor to her, not dishonor, honor, because as to the weaker vessel. What does that mean? Well, it means this. When a woman agrees to be your wife, she agrees to be put in subjection to you, and she agrees that you're going to be the head. That puts her in a definitely weaker position. I was concerned when my sons got married. I was much more concerned when my daughters got married. Why? Because they're weak little things? I ask Brian. But anyway, uh, no. And if you could ask my other son-in-law, you'd see it's even worse. But the point is, no. Because they're vulnerable. They're more easily, they're, they put themselves in a position where they can more easily be hurt. And I'm to give her honor for doing that. So I have to honor my wife for being willing to follow me. She's followed me in my life. We've been different places doing different things. And I know she would never have chosen that on her own. But she follows me willingly to do that. Because she's my wife. That doesn't deserve disrespect. It deserves honor. 
That's what he's telling you there as a husband. And so we could go on about that. And then some people, some men are unwilling to be a father. That's common today. Unwilling to be a father. Was that a sin? Yes, it is. In a general way, it's a sin. In a general way. Not for every single person. Why would I say such a thing? Well, because God said at the beginning, be fruitful to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. What does that mean? Does that mean adopt children? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it could. But that's not what this passage is about. This is about Adam and Eve joining together sexually to produce offspring to fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? With, with solar panels? No, fill the earth with children, with people. People are what God wants. God wants people. The world, socialist people, Marxists, the world does not want people. The environmentalists hate people. That's why I'm so against what I call environmentalism. It hates people. God loves people. He wants more of them. And is it any surprise to you that the world wants fewer of what, what God wants more of? So you're to fill the earth. Now, you, how many you have, and maybe it doesn't work out for you and all that, that's that's something that's, that I'm not going to speak to here. But I just want you to understand that when you're a young man, you just want to live, you, you look at a young man to marry or get involved with, but he doesn't want kids because he wants to spend his life doing what he wants to do. As a young Christian woman, you need to back away from that. Because he's going to think about himself even more so. He's not going to think about you. He's going to think about what pleases himself. And that's how it's going to be. Anyway, I, I can't say that today, can I? Bob, that has to go on my list of things I can't say in sermons anymore. I show on Bob a list. I have a, things I can't preach about anymore. And this is, I have to add this. Make sure this is on the list. Here's another one. <clears throat> uh, not being a godly father. Two sins. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers can easily provoke children to wrath because of their harshness or their apathy. Apathy and harshness are two sins that men commit toward their children. And we see the results of both probably sitting right here in this room. The results of negative effects in your life because your fathers are either absent or apathetic or because they were harsh. And then he says, fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Fathers can provoke children unnecessarily to a point of exasperation. Try to take those to heart when you become a father. They are exactly explicit what God says to you. And then pornography and sexual sin is a failing of men, common to men, that God warns you about. Some passages in the New Testament, we didn't even get to this on our study on women, like gossip and tailbearing, they're directed toward women. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, no, you can't do that. Well, yeah, you can because God does. He directs the patches on gossip and tailoring to women. Not because men don't gossip, because it's not a, it's not as common among them. But women don't have the same reaction when I tell the men don't don't be take don't look at women to lust after them. Yeah, give it to the men on that. Well, okay, I will, but I'm going to give it to the women on the other things that they commit. Yes, looking at women to lust is more common among men, more of a, co- a common sin to them, and it needs to be addressed properly needs to be taken care of, and it is a dangerous thing. I think I just destroyed my little microphone here somehow. Anyway, uh, we, we, we have I have some sermons on this on the Internet. We don't have time to talk about today, but I want to close with this, and I appreciate your time. I have another whole sermon on this subject a few months ago, Act Like a Man, on our website. I quote the King James here. This is the King James Version. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. Quit you means act like a man. Be strong. 
Notice how he notice how he equates being strong with acting like a man. I know that's toxic masculinity, but there it is. Let all that you do, though, be done in love. So yes, it's possible to be manly, to be strong, and also to act lovingly. It's possible to do those three, but you're still going to have to love like a man loves, not like a woman loves. That's for her to do, not for you to do. So young men, you think about some of these things. I put the list up here. I think I got the whole list up here. No, I don't either. I thought I did. Um, the whole list is there. We'll talk about that some other time. Anyway, we're going to stop today. I appreciate your indulgence on our little fiasco with the... You know what the problem there was? I think it was trying to play up there the whole time, wasn't it? And I kept subverting it. Did you ever see a picture of Jordan Peterson? You probably did. He was up there trying to play, and I didn't see it on my screen. It was throwing it onto the other screen sitting in front of me. I didn't see it. Okay. Anyway, thank you for being patient with that. I'll work on how to do that. I've never done it before. So if you're a guest, rest assured that's evidence that I don't put stuff like that up there very often because I don't know how to do it. <laughs> We're going to sing this song that Joel selected, 784, I mean, excuse me, 584, softly and tenderly. And if we can help you this morning by helping you repent of sins you've committed, or waywardness in life, if you'd like to start a new path and get back as a Christian, get back on the right path, we'll pray with you this morning. If you're not even a Christian, you definitely need to get back on the right path and become a Christian. Can we help you do that today? You come to the front this morning. We'll take your confession of faith in Christ, and you can become a Christian. It's very hour of being baptized into Jesus Christ. We can help you come right down the front. Let's stand and sing.